Something to bring up, folks, because it, it's been a it's been a challenging few days for the new king. But trumping them all was the Daily Mail, publishing 82 pages under the headline Our Hearts Are Broken. And here in Australia, the Daily Mail homepage was awash with dozens and dozens of stories honouring Her Majesty, some of which were, frankly, ridiculous. Astonishing moment, a cloud resembling Queen Elizabeth floats over English town just hours after she died. You bastards! <laughs> Good in your side is a podcast recorded on the various lands of First Nations peoples, land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. While there's air that is breathed and water that nourishes and provides, ownership of this land remains unresolved. Respects are paid to elders past and present in the ongoing quest for self-determination and reclamation of land. Born in our Hello everyone, uh, this is M. this is Thorn in Your Side. So, who I have with me tonight, well, known him in real life, I think for about, since the start of this year, I think we've been online friends for a few years now. It's always nice to find a human in both the, the flesh and the online form, so that's very nice. This dude, his name's Tim. How's it going, Tim? Yeah, um, well, thanks, Em. Doing well, as, uh, as we were saying earlier. Quite busy at the moment. Um, the whole everything that's going on in the world and all, but keeping as well as I can. Yep, we indeed are all busy. So tell me a bit about yourself there, Tim. Like, um, we, we met over Facebooks through Lefty Circles, and you've expressed interest to, to pop up my podcast. So I think it's a no-brainer. We'll probably end up... Uh, going a bit on the political end, if anything. So what's your background there? What's your story? Okay, well, to try and be fairly brief, I suppose, I grew up in northern rivers of New South Wales from a reasonably comfortable working-class type family and but reasonably sort of academic. My dad was a university lecturer. Mum was a an English teacher for a long time. I was fairly academic, interested in in my study, and I also enjoyed my sport, but then took a, a university path of science and then research. Became a, a research scientist in molecular biology and plant biology specifically, and got a job, had some kids and did various things. I suppose became politically radicalised fairly late. Uh, I'm early 40s now. Um, it's really mid-30s where I was feeling, uh, well, for one thing, I, I felt like I didn't have a lens through which I could understand what was going on in the world. And I was very incredibly sort of frustrated and just kind of couldn't possibly understand why 
I guess with a scientific background, my interest was reading, you know, things that were going on with the, you know, climate organisations and climate reports and things and just feeling as though as a society in many ways, there were very clear steps that could be taken that might improve things that seemed vital and yet there was just never the it seemed to be the political will to do it and and just couldn't understand why things weren't happening in the way that they perhaps should or could and then began I suppose to more actively try and find some answers try and find a framework through which I could understand what was going on and that led me to initially to probably Marxism you know uh, read I guess the manifesto and, uh, and capital and then started listening to a fair few podcasts most of which were Marxist and probably to be fair Marxist Leninist initially uh, but I felt as though there was something a little bit unsettling about that whole thing um, and, and and have moved subsequently more into well whatever you might want to characterize it but more anarchist leading social ecology type tendencies. Uh, the other thing is that I guess I walk the line of I work in a white collar area and and yeah so there's been a lot of tension around my trying to well, acknowledging the tension between my, my everyday work life and then you know, what's going on in the world and trying to think about how I might be able to make some contribution and you know play some small part in moving things in the direction that I think they um hopefully might be able to go and need to go it's an ongoing I guess uh, an ongoing source of tension for me uh, not well, I suppose yet none of us know how to solve all the world's problems but um but yeah I'm uh, I'm often I often reflect on whether I should just <laughs> if it's so serious perhaps just you know I don't know go and be a full-time militant or something but you know I guess it's not simple is it you know you try and address these questions we also have to survive with a family I love and yeah it's um it's not easy stuff that's one of the big issues that we might touch upon tonight actually I know um you were mentioning before early on there talking about your life story there is that um that you started off a particular theoretical bent and I think over time that's developed I'm going to hazard to suggest that perhaps your understanding of the theoretical stuff has adjusted according to trying to base it back upon your own reality and your own challenges. But I kind of get a sense that we, we've got a bit of similarity there with the, the sporting background and then kind of falling back from the sports to, to get educated and then move on professionally from there, while at the same time trying to work out where the, the politics do fit in with that, I would hazard to presume yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Probably makes sense just to touch in on the sporting stuff. I find that like I found being involved at exercise, you know, being involved in in some form of community organisation and around sport to be quite beneficial for mental health and for feeling a little bit less alienated as well. I grew up playing club tennis, my hometown, and it was quite a nice. I mean, it really was that things have actually changed quite a lot i guess uh you know under neoliberalism as as everything seems to everything becomes monetized and the idea of you know giving you giving your time to a to a community um club and doing things out of love is you know what what, what are you doing you suck you should be making money out of that but yeah and it's the that i do recall that as being something that i you know, i felt a real sense of connection when i was younger and then just being out and 
running around and moving around, I find beneficial for my mental health. But but certainly that sense of community and a sense of doing something where you're not constantly just driven by the dollar. It's like, you know, okay, we all, I mean, yeah, it's superficial, of course. You know, a bunch of people playing tennis, you know, you're not going to address all of these existential crises, but you do feel that connection. And I think it does, for me, help to address some of the, you know, sort of the alienations. I'm drawn to it for that reason as well. Yeah. I remember um, having a bit of a session with you one time. I know you've got a forehand, a backhand, so you can't not put that to good use if you've got that handy. <laughs> <laughs> ah, thank you. <laughs> nice. And I believe, Tim, uh, this might be your first stab at being in a podcast episode. Would that be correct in saying? Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah, there you go. So we'll be forever, forever joined uh, because of this. Okay. Well, it's been, it's been documented. Let's have a chat about the politics of things, Tim, because that's why I, I kind of invited you. So you talked about a bit of a, a political advancement there, and you started off with a bit of Marxism, and then you went into a bit of Marxist-Leninism, and then you've branched out into other theories, but you, you kind of countenanced it back to what you experience from day to day. Do you think that's what, what kind of informed that theoretical shift? Do you think that's what's going on or you just found some good books later on down the track? How do you think that to, to steal Megan's parlance? I'm Megan. Welcome to Archetypes, my podcast about the labels and tropes that try to hold women back. To steal Megan's parlance, evolution has taken place. Um, It's a hard question to answer, isn't it? I, I mean... I, I guess there's certain things that have resonated with me, other things not so much. And of course, you know, that has to be based on my um, material conditions, shall we, shall we say, but my experiences. So yeah, it has to be part of it. And I guess I don't like to sort of make hugely broad based kind of dismissive criticisms. Certainly, as we know, all of us that are in, in kind of lefty circles on social media, there's a whole heap of rubbish that, that happens in those circles. I mean, I didn't get into left politics to try and prove that I was the smartest political intellectual in the room or get into endless arguments and gotchas over how much theory I've read. Like, you know, I would hope, like most people, you're drawn there because you see profound problems and you you don't really know how the status quo could possibly address those problems and so then you go out you know looking for solutions and I suppose it, it may be circumstantial the people that I've encountered but I feel like the there's a, been a massive disconnect between you know people that travel more in the Marxist Leninist type circles online at least and anything that that is actually going to be useful on the ground also i guess just these these kind of dismissive arguments and incredibly hard-headed kind of ideology i just find it very tiresome and i guess i also looked into joining the australian communist organization and and some of the kind of undertakings that are, that you're, you are required to commit to or whatever you know found quite off-putting so whether or not it's it's my 
circumstances and people that I've encountered or just my general what fits best with my ideology uh, hard to say but certainly I, I will say that I've met in real life many people I've, I have considered to be extremely thoughtful reasonable and also engaging in useful things uh, on the ground or, or, or you know engaging in activities that I at least can, can see how they could be broadly useful but for whatever reason, my experience has been that, particularly because I have come to radical, I guess, whatever, consciousness somewhat later, but also, on the other hand, I'm not, you know, I've always been able to digest information fairly well and, like, I'm, I'm, I'm quite, I guess, with a, a scientific background, you know, quite keen to try and digest things in, in, an, in an attempted at least rational part way and, you know, push back on stuff that doesn't seem to make sense or is purely ideologically driven. I've tended to hit walls um, in engaging in those, type, not always. And I think there, and I'll probably come talk more about that later, but not always with people that describe themselves as Marxists or specifically Marxist Leninists. And yeah, and I've also, my encounters, I worked with an org um, that, I feel as, you know, of course, you know, that we can only do so much that I feel is making a real contribution and trying to do so in a way that is actually out there doing something rather than, you know, I think I said before, sort of show ponying around. And you've talked about this in your podcast previously, kind of, you know, the kind of intellectual big brain, you know, fighting around. That stuff doesn't particularly interest me. I do think, you know, there's this issue that, you know, on one hand, broadly you have the, however you want to describe them, the status saying, you know, well, we have to be able to defend the revolution and, you know, everything's just going to get crushed if we don't. We, we have to take charge of the apparatus of the state to defend the revolution. You know, we're not going to, we'll be crushed, look at it's happened before. And But I also do think it's, you know, that to, to, there's very valid criticisms and, you know, to a certain extent, you know, how do you defend, like, with the existing powers and things, you know, how, how do you defend and expand something that's like a, you know, more, uh, I guess, to use the word cautiously, a, a, a sort of a utopian liberatory societal structure, there really are challenges associated with that. So, so yeah, it's just a, it's just a very... A challenging question, I think. I, I do struggle with it. Yeah, I do have to admire your scientific acumen that you, you apply to it, Tim. You you engage with a variety of voices and participants and you provide a, a more far wide reaching patience than well, I would certainly apply. Um, <laughs> so I've got to admire you for that. Yeah. So it, it might bring me to this idea then of, and I suppose this might be for the, the listener that's still trying to get their head around all of this because I notice when it comes to the lefty politics stuff, an amount of it's about talking about activism and what to do and where to go, but there's also the educational component to it as well. Like there's people out there still trying to get their head around it. Now, I might be mindful about the latter in this instance. So, Tim, you and I, we often and I suppose everyone else that's um, within the lefty zoo as well, uh, we often refer to the left, a noun. I tend to be a bit more dramatic about it by making sure that there's capitals there with the T and the L. So, you know, like, I mean, there's no exact Collins dictionary term of what the left is. I think there's certain 
boundaries to it that are always up for contention. But I suppose you and I, we, we have enough of a wavelength, I think, where we have enough similarities on our ideas of what the left is, I think. So let's have a bit of a chat about the commonalities of what we think it is. So what do you feel comprises the left? Because, I mean, for me, I could immediately latch on to what the right thinks about the left. When they talk about the left, they'll bundle in Meghan Markle and company, Meghan Duchess of Sussex and company, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. into Real what we do as the hero. left. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, how long is a piece of string to that end? But at the same time, it's about working out who exactly is is reporting on this or who is doing the observations. Um, so Sky News, uh, I think they would cast their net very wide and very general when they talk about what the left is. But what do you reckon, Tim? Are you prepared to perhaps at least drill it down to something a bit more narrower? Yeah, well, I mean, sure. I'd be happy to give it a shot to describe what I would think perhaps the normie, if you like, the non, uh, as you say, non-person that's really gone down the, the rabbit hole and traveling in highly specific lefty circles and having all of the perhaps more, definitely more high resolution disputes over you know, whose particular splinter of all of these different at times subtle and uh, at other times not so subtle differences. I mean, growing up, I guess, for me, the left, you know, you, you're talking about Definitely the Greens are part of the left and and then there are radical groups within that that you could consider more fringe. Certainly there's formal organisations around, you know, Socialist Alliance and these things that you occasionally hear of within Marxist circles and the Australian Communist Party. You might, oh, my God, what are these crazy radicals? Um, and then perhaps the left may encompass at least some Labour kind of schools of thought although that's probably the kind of dividing line mainstream wise and then you've obviously got the the right extending to the other side of that, that and that's framing in an Australian context yeah uh, I don't see myself as sitting in any of those camps and I, I, I suspect neither do you um, so uh, but I guess yeah anarchism at least for me, growing up and in my kind of more mainstream engagement with politics, like I didn't, I remember first, I guess, like I knew what Marxism was, I might not have known what it was, but I'd heard of Marx, I'd heard of Lenin and I'd heard of communism and I'd seen, you know, like the Socialist Alliance flyers and broadly knew that the Australian Communist Party existed. What this anarchism thing was, yeah, it was very, very foreign to me. So, um if I was talking about capital P, capital L, left, you know, I think I would largely exclude, uh, at least in in my um, in the historical era that I've grown up in today, um, from that. Uh, and I think that's probably broadly reflective of the average, perhaps somewhat politically interested person in Australia who broadly who might be looking at how to divvy up politics from mainstream through to what's considered more fringe. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, at the, what's fringe and what's mainstream, that still remains all relative. But uh, it's interesting how you talk about how, and I'm, I'm imagining this metaphor about lifting a couple of uh, dunas um, out of the way to try to get to what's underneath. 
So, like, there's the different array of political organisations out there, obviously, um, with varying levels of political tendency and um, progressiveness and, and radicalization. But I don't know, like, I think you and I have taken a tra- trajectory where we, we've kind of often challenged trying to maintain or live within an organisational line and try to strike beyond something a bit further than that, which kind of both have led us, I think, something a bit more of an anarchist bent. I suppose that that's the, the theoretical journey that we, we've both taken. I can ask you then, like, how much of your day-to-day life has also informed this as well? Like, does that act as the barometer, or has it been a case of this dialectical trail of, um, of this doing a being crap and that doona being crap let's get these doonas out of the way and see what the next cover is is it that simple using that very clumsy metaphor yeah i think that's yeah it's, it's very hard to to i guess verbalize the precise but um trajectory or you know all of the experiences and just keeping in mind this has been quite a fast journey for me too because it was like and i must say that i'm not sorry i'm not directly answering your question but i will try to do that in a moment i I did initially find, like, it was like when I read about Marxism and then even, you know, um, read, you know, State and Revolution and was like, oh, fuck, like, okay, there's a structural analysis here that I I feel like I've put on some glasses and I can actually kind of understand things in a way that I, I never could before. And so that I found incredibly helpful and honestly like a, you know uh, very satisfying because I, because I was up until that point really profound like what the hell is going on in, in the world why, why how is it what, why is this and so to have something that I some framework that seemed to make a little bit of sense I found incredibly satisfying and so then the progression became because I mean I, I, I've always been someone that's been I guess academic, like I enjoy reading and I enjoy listening to podcasts. So I, I, I kind of digested a lot of stuff, you know, quite fast um, because I was like, oh, wow, you know, maybe there's some answers here. And I can't, well, I've got to say the, the work rate if, has been immense, Tim. <laughs> well, I don't know. About, but it's just that, so like, yeah, I'll listen to like lefty podcasts of all sorts of different flavors on an almost daily basis, but it like commuting or whatever. And so, um, and I don't have the solutions. And I don't suppose, well, except for the MLs, of course, who you know exactly how everything has to be done. You know, I, I, I doubt that I, I just don't think I'll ever be in that situation where I feel that I do. But that's part of the issue, right? Like, so what's most attractive to me and what I feel is the most reasonable on balance strategy is something along these and anarchism too is such a broad net, and there's certainly plenty of people that would describe their ideologies as you know being anarchists who are, you know, I mean even without touching on obviously ANCAPs, but I mean you know even with people that that aren't ANCAPs and broadly consider themselves to be anarchists, there's a whole lot of unprincipled nonsense that I don't think is at all useful that goes on within that within that. I guess, hugely broad ideology. But all these characters, like, obviously, Bakun, an incredibly problematic person there, but like, and Bookchin, too, has, has, has issues. But I do find probably the social ecology framework to be fairly compelling and the kind of where I head and what I identify in terms of a strategy that 
I think is is most helpful um, a, a path to walk in trying to achieve something like a, a better societal structure. Uh, I, I'm drawn to that. And, and yeah, I mean, I think that has come from my thinking through, uh, you know, in quite an obsessive way about these issues and the various arguments put forth by you know, many people that you might broadly consider to be part of the radical left. And again, we, we maybe need to define that, but, um, but I guess people that think that, you know, capitalism is not a viable strategy at least. And, you know, matching that up with work, with culture in, in a Western context, in the context of where I have lived and grown up. And I, I'm very quick to say that too. And I remember whenever I'm having these discussions, like I really, like, I'm, as we know, like, you know, I'm in the, in the global North, I'm a white guy. I'm very, financially comfortable by glow i'm not going to tell anybody you're going through principled struggle elsewhere in the world that they're doing it wrong for for me and for in the context that i exist yeah that's what i'm most drawn to so yeah i suppose that does take into consideration what's going on in my life well tell me a bit more about the the social ecology stuff there tim and particularly how it might provide commentary on the contradictions that people face when engaged with capitalist relations. So therefore, you know, working in the job where it's as boring as fuck or you mightn't be getting as paid as much as you need to cover the rent or your boss is a complete asshole, or all of the above and how one connects with the political realities of things and how it all kind of relates to each other. It sounds like there is that ecological flowing of things where um yeah I'll, I'll leave you to to maybe unpack that a little bit what do you think yeah well I, I mean my path to more radical politics has certainly been driven by what's going on like ecological collapse right and that's been a massive part of it and I see that as a hugely important part of any strategy that's going to be effective in providing a better future for the most amount of human beings uh, possible. And Bookchin, I guess his classic text is a text called The Ecology of Freedom. And that too, I found hugely informative because he deals in incredible, with incredible intellectual rigor in my view. Anyhow, other people, Bookchin's an incredibly divisive character, um, as you're probably aware, but it goes through an analysis of hierarchical interactions and how they've informed societal structures and then also you know the, how we engage with the planet over a, from sort of prehistory onwards and and, and graver also you know, travels along these lines as well and kind of took up the mantle in, in some regards i think whether or not he i'm not sure i've not heard him speak specifically on bookchin but i mean bookchin his critique of, and he criticised everyone, part of which made him so divisive, but he was critical of obviously Marxist-Leninist. He, he was a Marxist-Leninist for um, an extensive period as, as a younger man. And, it, and I guess very interesting to see his ideology shift. So in terms of his critiques of that structure of organisation, um, I, I found them compelling, but also he is big on saying, you know, 
and and I mean to a certain extent principled Marxists and I, look I do have a lot of time for certain principled Marxist feminists or Maoists or people in that milieu I guess so long as they are very principled I just and maybe this critique can be thrown at anarchists as well too like there's a lot of talk about base and superstructure and you know it's not all about class you know Marxist sense and all that stuff and so it's not like you know forms of Marxism or Marxist-Leninism or Maoism or whatever can't deal with that stuff but I just find the way that that Bookchin says no you know it's it's hierarchy it's not you know we, we have to address hierarchical forms of domination and to just sort of even just to have this kind of this Marxist conception of class that's but I just feel as though the way that Bookchin addresses that is the most satisfying to me anyhow. Well, I mean, of course, class is in the Marxist sense is is a huge component of of hierarchy, but it's not the only form of hierarchy that needs to be challenged. And indeed, you know, the position and this is shared amongst anarchists is that you know, I guess any form of you know unjustified embedded hierarchy, you know, absolutely needs to be to be challenged. And that includes, you know, how we're interacting when the framing you know, of like, oh, you know, yes, humans are the disease and we need to get rid of humans and uh, to save the environment. So he pushed back on a lot of this stuff. So he's not traveling in that school of thought, but he was saying that we have to treat ecology and the ecosystem like what it is, like an interrelated web of extremely complicated interactions that are mutually reliant and, and our societal structures need to need to take in that into account and to center that if we have any kind of you know sustainable future. I think we can kind of get a bit close to, to the end of what we're having a bit of an exploration upon this evening there Tim where I think when it comes to the, the political inquiry here I, I think it is about identifying and challenging like the different taxonomies that people refer to and depend upon we talk about the left and by entering the left we might be able to find some justifiable outcomes by doing that if we join an organization that's where we might find joy Something that, um, that, that I did find particularly interesting there, Tim, in, in what you're explaining as well, is that there seems to be so, not so much the, the good organisations or the good theory, but rather the, the good people. Yeah, look, that's, yeah, I, I think that's a um, very uh, astute point that you've made. That, that probably is my view of things. And look, I, I, it's complicated too. Like, I mean, it's... A lot of this is very, I mean, I do like to work with people on the ground doing meaningful stuff. And I suppose in that respect, I am, and again, I'm kind of going off uh, on a tangent a little bit from what you asked, but I'll try to come back to it. It's relevant, I suppose, for me to, to express that I am not a fan of this idea of, oh, we, you know, you have the revolution and then you know, we, well, we better wait until then. There's no point doing, no, like I, I want to find a way to do something that I at least feel is meaningful and is I at least feel I don't or no or maybe feels the wrong word I I have some reason to hope or believe 
could be um, useful uh, in moving things slightly, providing some little bit of you know assistance in moving things in the direction I would hope that they would go. Now, rather than be like, oh no, sorry, well until you know we take hold of the state apparatus, you know, let's just wank on about who you know read the most obscure text by whatever Mao or Stalin or Lenin or whoever else and fight about that. So there's that aspect of it. But I appreciate that I am speaking in theory or theoretical terms. I've never experienced anything like truly revolutionary struggle. And, and people in the world have before and some are currently. And so, you know, it's all very abstract. And and I, I have to admit that under those circumstances, I mean, what, what happens, it's all very well for me to say, oh, yes, you know, like I can appreciate all these people and their intellectual angles on analysis broadly within the left but okay well at some point if you know you're trying to then engage in some kind of active like you know acute struggle well how does that all fall out well and the answer is I I don't know it becomes awfully complex doesn't it so anybody that is within whatever ideology broadly on the radical left if they're willing to do that then and I, and I feel as though they're doing it in good faith even if they come to contrary conclusions, that's something that interests me and some and a person that I'm, you know, I'm interested in engaging with. Because, yeah, as I said, I don't think there aren't easy answers to this stuff, right? And it's also it's even harder when you're working in such an abstract fashion for me. Like, oh well, you, well how are we going to? How, well, I mean, well, you know, it's going to get pretty hectic when it ever happens, right? And like whatever I might be, uh, you know, as I said, sort of intellectually wanking on about now if the shit hits the fan it probably gets very different so okay tim we're on the home stretch so i feel like we've had a pretty interesting discussion talking about the architecture of lefty things and and what's useful and hopefully it might be useful for anyone else that's that's happened to listen to this as well from here, Tim, like I'd, I'd like to try to bring you in now and again to talk about yeah, stuff. What's the type of stuff that, that you want to cover? I know what immediately comes into my head is the um, the idiosyncrasies that Rafael Nadal has when he um, when he's on the tennis court. Like he never steps on yeah, the white lines yeah. and anything, but I'm imagining there might be some other things that you might want to discuss in future episodes other than Rafael. Yeah, no, or anything tennis related, uh, I'm more than happy to chat about. Um, yeah, no, and we have, we've had some, I think I sent you the video, didn't I, that went over like all of his, or did you send it to me? I don't know, of all his, yeah, all his little idiosyncrasies. I think I messaged, well, just like bantering, and then at one point I was just saying, do you notice how he has these like, these ticks that he keeps doing? Um, and then you yeah. just kind of said, well, it's just all part of a greater um, OCD complex that goes on. And then you give me this like video footage of, of all the stuff that he literally does. And then there was yeah. like one tennis opponent that, um, that actually, and I think this is like in the scheme of things is like one of those, those lines that, that you can't cross um, metaphoric <laughs> lines. Um, Cause he was a bit of a bastard to do it where he kind of breaks Nadal's, routine that's right that's right well it's funny i mean it was uh, nadal was just like no oh, whatever like so yeah he, he does all these things one of which is meticulous with placement of his bottles and yeah i think it was rossol or one of these but yeah famous incident where he just like nadal did his 
yeah, meticulous bottle placement and his opponent just walked up and kicked the bottle. So, <laughs> uh, which, <laughs> but yeah, interestingly, I think Nadal just like just put, put it back where they go and just went on and just beat, beat him comfortably. So, like, it didn't psychologically destroy him. He, he was able to play it. Yeah. There you go. Well, that that's why he's one of the greats as well, as Serena. Yeah. Okay. Well, what comes to mind then, Tim, other than, than the tennis? Anything that um that you think Thorne and your side could um provide good contribution to? Yeah, I mean, well, for one thing, I can genuinely oh, we get into these platitudes, uh, uh like the Meghan Markle um podcast. You know, you're I think you're one of the greatest podcasters I've ever met and uh, no, but I do enjoy listening to it, and so it helps then that yours is on one of the episodes, one of the podcasts I really listen to, so I'll know what's going on. So from that perspective, I guess it would make sense, and I'd love to have a chat regularly. As I said, I, I listen to a bunch of other podcasts, and there's a lot of a lot of questions come to mind as I listen to these various flavors of different, you know, left analysis, and and quite often I'm feel like I'd like to, you know, to talk through um, some of my thinking around different analyses and sometimes quite, quite, well, you know, as you'd well know, contrasting analyses uh, um, from different, and again, from, I'm not interested in people that are just being wankers and not interested in engaging in good faith, but there can be, obviously, like the, the whole reasonable minds can differ thing is a thing, I think. And and sometimes I'll listen to, you know, like what, it might be, you know, David Harvey talking. You know, at times I don't know what to make of it all. So I'd certainly, if that was something that you'd be interested in doing, perhaps we could chat about what's been, because often, you know, very often there'll be topics that are addressed by these various different podcasts, all of which that I think are, quite principled coming from different angles and at times reaching different conclusions. So having a chat through some of that would be useful for me at, uh, at any rate. <laughs> okay. Well, it gives me an idea then, Tim. Let's now and again do a Lefty Podcast review. Cool. All right. Well, moving forward, um, let's see what we can dig up. So, yeah, if you uh, if you find anything there, Tim, if that gives you a, a burning desire to explore, um, and I might even extend the invite to the listenership out there. If you come across any particular episodes that you'd like for us to, to have a look at and pull apart and offer our own opinion as such and, and work out how um, meaningful it might be to things, yeah, drop me a line. I've got my... Thorn in Your Side Facebook page, Instagram. I think I'm best uh, reached on the Facebooks at the moment. But like I keep saying, I, I want to try to branch out into YouTube because that's the more accessible way to, to get to people. But that's something I'll just keep chipping away at. Anyway, thanks for your time there, Tim. It's been great. I hope to catch you soon. But otherwise, stay safe, Tim, and stay safe, everybody else out there. Thanks, Tim. That was uh, really fun, and yeah, I hope to do it again soon, mate. Nice. All right. Catch you later.
The podcast is a co-production between Archwell Audio, Gimlet, and Spotify. Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, the Duchess of Sussex, is our executive producer.